while I do not think there could have been a better song to sing before the beginning of today's lesson. The old rugged cross, how I love the old rugged cross. How I love what it symbolizes, how I love he who died on the cross for my sins. While his brother John said, we were yet his enemies. We were his enemies, his foes. We were against all that he stood for. And yet he died for us. What an incredible gesture of love. How could we not be proud of that cross? How could we not seek to hold high the cross in a world that may look upon it with anger, with hatred? You may notice there are a great many cults who will not have the cross as one of their symbols. They do not want to acknowledge that Christ died for their sins. They'd rather have their members earn their way there with lots and lots of checks. You see, they're all about the God mammon. They're all about themselves and they're not about Jesus Christ. They're not about our thrice holy God or the fourfold gospel which we have received from him. No, we hold high the cross and the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which naturally suggests only suffering ignominy and defeat has become the noblest sign of all of all that is lofty of all that is heroic of all that is glorious in the story of redemption and in the experience of the Christian in the gospel account of John chapter 12 and verse 32 and it is an account it is not a story Jesus says if I be lifted up from the earth will draw men unto me You know, there's a story told of a medieval scholar who asked his attendants to lift him from his deathbed and place him upon a cross. As he lay there, he breathed out his life. He kept repeating with glowing eye and with the shining face the simple words, it lifts me up, it lifts me up. And indeed, the cross lifts us up out of sin and into Christ for a few are outside of Christ. You are not a Christian. But the words of this scholar suggest that uplifting power of the cross, the cross of our Lord. And if ever the world needed uplifting, it is now, isn't it? This naturally suggests that outside of Christ, there is no hope. For there is no one more heroic, no one more lofty, and no one more glorious that has ever walked the earth. He who had the right to wear the crown of Israel wore a crown of thorns. And there's no crown of man ever been fashioned so beautiful of gold, so full of rubies and diamonds and and all manner of sapphires that can ever manage to equal that cross of thorns, that crown of thorns. Yes, to uplift the cross in the experience of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Speaking of it, he said, If I be lifted up from the earth, John twelve thirty two. To him it brought no sense of degradation or failure, but only a sense of glory and honor and victory. He knew what was going to happen. He knew, the, he knew what awaited him when he went to Jerusalem. If you remember, he knew what was going to happen. And he could have walked away. He could have went in the opposite direction, but still he boldly and bravely went to Jerusalem to suffer that death in order to win the victory and truly save those through him in obedience 
would accept the gospel call and that gift which he bought at such high a price. He spoke of it to his disciples in advance and it was always only as a stepping stone to the resurrection which was to follow. On the Mount of Transfiguration, his heavenly visitors spoke of nothing else, but they spoke of it as his decease which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Luke 9 verse 31. And the word decease expresses not so much the idea of death as it does in modern English, but as the idea of departure. It was but the beginning of a glorious ascension which was to lift him up to higher honours and loftier ministries through the ages to come. Christ is still ministering this very day. Our mediator. He is reigning and he cannot be unseated. You know, the Apostle Paul, speaking of the cross, can only express himself in terms of the loftiest exaltation. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 6, verse 14. In the visions of the Acropolis, we find it occupying the place of highest honor in the heavenly world. It is the continual theme of the songs, both of the angels and of the ransomed. The highest distinction of him who shares the Father's throne is the mark of the cross. And he is described as the lamb that was slain, Revelation 5 and verse 12. For he is the lamb of God. He bore the marks of that crucifixion and he bore them for us, for you and for me. The cross of Jesus Christ has exalted Christ himself by giving to the universe a manifestation not only of the wisdom and the love of God nowhere else found, but especially a manifestation of the self-sacrificing, that selfless love, that all-giving love, that love of the Messiah himself, transcending all other revelations of his character and his glory. What did it say of him when he knew what was going to happen? He knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. He knew the beatings. He knew he would be crucified. He would be murdered. He knew people would mock him. He knew he would be spat upon. He knew the pain that was going to come. And yet still he went through it. Because he loved us so. He loved you so. He loved me so. What a comforting thought to know that we are loved that much, isn't it? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Paid a ransom so high we, can, we cannot imagine it. Crucifixion was chosen as a method of execution by the Romans because of its cruelty. This was no humane injection where you just go asleep and be executed. This was being tortured to death over many, many hours. It was a horrible way to die. It was reserved for slaves, and yet he was the king of kings. No Roman would be crucified. Part of their privilege of being a Roman citizen was that they would not die such a horrible death. Yet Christ did. We cannot even begin to imagine how horrible it was. And yet there is where he won the victory. In human history... There is something higher than wealth. There's something higher than power or brilliant gifts of intellect. European history commemorates the heroes of Thermophile above all other records of their country. 
at the gates of fire. 300 Spartans stood and died to stop their enemy from invading Europe and thus they saved the whole continent. They're held up as paragons of virtue, of sacrifice, of service. Their king led them and their king died while leading them. But unlike the king of Sparta, the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and saved not just Europe but all mankind, not just for a small time but for all human history, if we will be obedient to the gospel call of Christ. In the annals of Christian biography, they are rich with a record of heroic sacrifice. We think of Stephen, who perished terribly. Of Telemachus, who died in the arena. Of all those who died so terribly for the call and for the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's no heroism greater than the account of Calvary itself. And there's no glory which shall ever be laid at the feet of the Lamb of God to be compared with the crimson of the cross and the crown of thorns. But the cross was brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, yet higher recompense in the approval of his Father and the love of his people. What human imagination can conceive the glory of that hour when at last he rested after the anguish in the garden and the crucifixion and the awful descent among the dead. Speaking of the Father's recompense, the inspired apostle says in Philippians 2 verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. His name is the name above all names in glory and in compassion, in honor, in duty, in reputation, and in majesty. They may use his name as a swear word, but there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It is only through Christ that we can find salvation. Almost as sweet to his heart as the devotion of his people and the love and gratitude of those for whom he died. And how can we not lay everything, everything on the altar for Christ? From the top of your head to your big toe, everything for Christ. Because without him, we are nothing. Remember, when you spell Christian, the end of it is I-A-N. You take Christ out of Christian, I am nothing. I am nothing without Christ. But in Christ. I have salvation. I have hope. Through him is reputation and majesty. Why would we not seek to be like Christ with all our hearts and souls? With everything that we are. And to yearn for it. And to study for it. And to strive. Strive to live a Christ-like life. That would be pleasing to him. How much a brave man will often dare for the object of his affection. And there's no reward so sweet to him as the thanks of someone dear to him. Whom he has been permitted to help or save. Make no mistake, he loves us so. When we think of the myriads whom Jesus Christ has rescued from sin and from despair. As we think of the beautiful lives that we have known as Christians. And it is beautiful. 
to be living our lives knowing that we were unsaved, that we weren't free, and then through Christ to find that salvation. I remember when I was baptized, I'll never forget it. When I came back up out of the water, I felt like I had sprouted wings. I thought I could fly away. Slept the sleep of an innocent babe that night. And Christy and I were due to go out to have our, our pictures taken for engagement pictures in Mississippi. Poor Christy was eaten alive. The water was freezing cold, by the way. Someone forgot to turn it on. So I came up singing soprano like I never had. I think the mosquitoes thought it was dead, but they didn't bite me at all. There's a secret. <laughs> but nothing, nothing felt so good as to know that I was right with God. And how did I know that I was right with God? Was it because the preacher told me so? No. Was it because Christy told me so? No. It was because this told me so. Amen. The Bible told me so. This is our sole and only authority. This is what our faith is built upon. The truth of the word of God. And in it we read about the glory of the Christ. Of our Messiah. This is the joy that was set before him. For which he endured the cross. You see it was joyful. Joy that set before him. This is why he endured the cross. The cross wasn't a joyful thing despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Hebrews 12 and verse 2, and he did it for you and me. So the next time somebody tells you, oh, you're of no worth, you're worthless, you're not. You're worth the blood of the Son of God, of the King of Israel, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The most precious coin in the universe is not gold or silver, it's blood. And it's the pure and precious blood of our sinless Savior. The day is coming which will make up for all this shame and all this sorrow. When he shall present to himself his glorious bride. In Ephesians 5 verse 27 we read that his glorious bride not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And he shall be satisfied. The church is his bride. We will not have spot or wrinkle or any such thing because of what he has done, what he has achieved, and the garments of righteousness that he has provided to replace the filthy garments of sin. The cross has brought to Christ a glorious and everlasting kingdom, the throne which the Father hath prepared for him as our mediatorial king is a far far more glorious throne than any that man could provide. The kingdom is the recompense which he has won through the work of redemption and the scepter which he is to wield over the church is one which he could never have possessed but for the sharpness of the cross and the humiliation of Calvary. And he did it all for us. It is indeed true that the cross was lifted up. It was lift, lifted up to lift up the criminals as well as all who follow him in that pathway of suffering and glory. We must look to uplift the cross in our lives. It lifts us up from hell to heaven. From the curse of the broken law to the acceptance of God and the justification. I love that word. 
justification. I am justified, made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned because of what Christ achieved upon the cross. Because of what he achieved, we have forgiveness. We have salvation. It lifts us up from sin to righteousness. His righteousness. Right for living in Christ. From the degradation and defilement of our sins. To the image of Christ and the righteousness of God. Revelation 1 verse 5 says, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. This is the tribute which every Christian, every Christian who has been brought to the cross of Jesus Christ can say. Not only does it save us, it sanctifies us. That blood shed upon the cross. But it sanctifies in a way which lifts us higher than any holiness than Adam ever knew. Or Moses or David. It sanctifies by the process of crucifixion and resurrection. It puts our sins on the cross with Jesus Christ. So that we pass out in our own sinfulness and are reckoned dead. And then in Christ Jesus we are resurrected. That we become partakers of his holiness and stand in the same place as Christ himself in spotless holiness and blamelessness before the throne of God. And that is only achieved not because of our righteousness but because of his righteousness. Because and we obey the gospel of Christ we are no longer outside him we are in Christ. When we are baptized we are baptized into Christ. The cross lifts us above our sickness and our infirmity and makes us partakers of the resurrection life and the strength of the Lord Jesus even in our mortal frame. For we have that hope right now. It begins now and continues on throughout eternity. In Isaiah 53 and verse 5, the prophet writes, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. This is just the beginning of a glorious life for those who have trusted in Christ. The cross lifts us up above the world's ambitions and the sordid interests of it and makes us the people of heaven right now, right here. This was the supreme reason why Paul gloried in the cross, whereby he says, the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Galatians six fourteen. By the cross of Christ, we are the same as if we had died as citizens of the world and had been sent back to it from heaven as messengers and missionaries on the very same mission as the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel. So the pleasures and the pursuits of the world have no right to control us. We are not of it any more than he was of it. And we are in it as men and as women who walk with our feet on earth and our hearts and our heads in heaven. Cleansing our minds and our souls with the word of God. It lifts us up above the power of Satan and makes us conquerors in the conflict with the powers of darkness. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12 and verse 11. 
You see, the cross was Satan's Waterloo. For those who don't know what Waterloo was, it was a battle that took place in 1815. The French Emperor Napoleon had returned from exile. He he whipped up his army, over 100,000 men, and he marched on the British forces in Belgium. It was the first time he'd met them in battle. He was expecting a victory, but he lost. We should have known better than to pick a fight with an Irishman. We don't give up easily. (laughs) Well, Satan met his Waterloo. It was his end. It was just finished. All of his plans to stop the gospel had come to naught. The attempted destruction of the bloodline that would lead to Jesus Christ had come to nothing. He tried it at Bethlehem. He tried it with Haman when Israel was in exile in Persia. He tried it in Egypt when the pharaohs just killed the first, murdered the firstborn sons of Israel. But he could not stop him. Satan lost. Went to the whole world, they would see the Messiah being crucified and think, aha, there's your king. He's not sitting upon a throne. Oh, but he was. And oh, but he is. Not only was Satan beaten there, but he was captured and hung up on the cross as a scarecrow to show the children of God that the devil is a defeated foe and that we need no longer fear him or even fight him in our own name and strength. The devil was beaten hoisted upon his own petard. He thought he had finished Christ. He thought he had defeated him. He should have known you can't keep a good man down. We resist the devil in the name of Jesus and at his name he must flee. We may hand him over to the captain of our salvation. Our Lord Jesus, our King who has conquered him for us and will conquer him in us when we fully trust him. Having spoiled principalities and power, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Meaning the cross. Colossians 2 and verse 15. The cross lifts us up above the fear of death and gives us the right to the resurrection and the life of mortal. Indeed, it is our privilege to regard death as already behind us. With him, we have died on the cross, and for us, death can never be the same again. For the power of gospel truth is profound, isn't it, brethren? It changes us. It changes the world. The gospel message could not be put out. As a flaming fire, when they try to put it out, it just gets higher and higher. The flame burns stronger. A form of death may come to us, but all that has death in it has already passed upon him. And for us, it is but a transition to the life beyond. If a man keep my saying, he has told us, he shall never see death. John 8, 51. All he shall see is the presence of the Lord encompassing him and hiding him from all other powers and every fear and every foe in every age. Christ's victory is total and complete. It is pure gold. There's no silver mixed with it, no copper. It's not 9 carat, 10 carat, 24. It is pure. And nothing can reach it, the value of it. From the standpoint of the cross... 
we are not now looking into the grave, but into the heavens. From whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, and may it be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Philippians 3, 20, 21. You see, my friends, the cross lifts us up above the natural to the supernatural, from the human to the, the divine, from the Adamic race to the family of God, where we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, God the Son, and we are children of God, his very own, the ones whom he sings over. Zephaniah three seventeen. I love that verse. He sings over us. He watches over us. We are not alone. And henceforth we live not according to the limitations of human nature, but according to the working of his mighty power. Ephesians 1, 20-22. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Yes, we hold high the cross. And we can boast, our King is Christ Jesus. God made man, holy and majestic, the cross lifts us up from law into grace, from trying to trusting, from having to, to loving to. From our deadly doings to his finished work, from Christian endeavor to divine achievement and victorious all-sufficiency, for all our needs are met in Christ Jesus. It is not what we are to do, but what we are to receive and let him work in us to will and do of his good pleasure. The cross lifts us up from a life of repression and depression to a life of inspiration, of liberty and of fullness, a real life. In the Greek, Jesus tells us that he is the life. In Greek, it's zoe. And the word Zoe in Greek means a life that's full, a zestful life, a happy life, a meaningful life, a life worth living that's overflowing, a glorious life. We are not dying in our sins, but we have died and are alive forevermore through Christ Jesus our Lord. The cross has taken us across the dark abyss of death and planted us forever on the shores of life. For Christ, who abolished death, hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 10. Who is like our king? None. We serve him not because we have to, but because we want to, because we love to. The cross lifts us up from a life of selfishness to a life of sacrifice and love. Its message is, in 2 Corinthians three fourteen to 15 The love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then all were dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. He rose again. No spirit that truly confesses 
touches the cross can ever henceforth live for self alone. If we are true Christians, we will obey him. And we will do it out of love. We will be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be forgiven of our sins and rise from that watery grave to praise our Lord with the mission in our hearts. I want to tell the world about Jesus Christ. I want to tell the world about a saving grace, about his majesty, about what he did for me, for such a wretch as me. He came, he died, he rose again, and you know something else, he's coming back for me. Now the law of the cross is the law of sacrifice. There's a school of religious teachers who hold and teach that the one meaning of the cross is simply a pattern of divine love given to us for our imitation. According to this view, Christ died to lift men from selfishness to heroic sacrifice and holy service. Yet they see no place for the doctrine of substitution and the atonement for sin. They're missing out, aren't they? We see the splendid object lesson of benevolence and sacrifice in Christ's death. It must be said that oftentimes the lives of the men and women who hold this lower view of the cross are by no means inconsistent with their teaching, and no means, by no means have they, have they not done beautiful things with their money and with virtue but they have not seen the full picture Christ didn't just came, come here to show us an example he came here to lead us he came here to die for us surely while we believe in the loftier conception of the cross of Jesus we should not leave out the lore and our lives should still show a higher conformity to the gospel The Lord Jesus Christ is the mighty one. Perhaps it may be said for them that believing as they do, not so much in grace as in gracious works, on their own part, they make more strenuous efforts to live their religion. But surely love and gratitude should win from us a nobler response than mere self-righteousness from others. We must have all of the cross and the message of the gospel. See, Christ, when he came, came to give us the purest of gospels. Not nine carat, not 14, not 18 carat, but pure gospel with nothing taken out. While we accept his grace and praise him for his precious blood, let us not forget to follow his blood marked steps. In conclusion, my friends, what is our attitude towards the cross of Christ? Are we near the cross? No, that will never do. At the cross? No, that is not near enough. We must be on the cross in him, through him. That is our true place. Our sins on the cross, our very selves upon him. We must not linger on the cross forever, for there is another stage. In the 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 3, the apostle declared, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried. 
Too often we forget this part of the world certainly has. This is not on the cross, but beneath the cross and beyond the cross. Like him, we are to pass from the cross to the grave. Burial with him in baptism is the Christian symbol of this glorious fact that the cross of Christ has finished for us the question of our death with him. And it has brought us to the place of resurrection and life forevermore in him. And is that our place? Are we reckoning ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord? Let us not forget to take up our cross and follow him. Let us not forget what he has suffered for us, which is the sacrifice, the service, the self-forgetting love. Let us never forget what he has done. For remember, he died for all, that they which which would live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 15. Do we live for him? Do we hold high the cross? Do we stand for the gospel 100% and stand upon the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ? There are a great many people in this world who believe that they're saved and are not. They have been lied to by a false doctrine which tells them that all you need to do is accept Jesus into your heart. All you need to do is to be saved like the thief on the cross. My friends, the thief on the cross was indeed forgiven of his sins by Christ. But Christ as God had the authority to forgive sins. It was under the old law that he was saved that thief on the cross. When Christ died upon the cross, the new law came into effect. The new covenant, the new testament of God. And he declared how we must be saved. We must be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a lot simpler than being captured by Roman authorities and crucified, isn't it? And hoping that Christ would be crucified beside you. Oh, who wants to be crucified? Who wants to be saved like the thief on the cross? I tell you, Water, even if it's freezing cold, is so much better. Even if there's a spider at the side of your hand, at the side of the thing, it's better. Many have said, I want to be saved like Paul was saved on his way to Damascus. Well, Paul wasn't saved on the road to Damascus. He wasn't saved as he fell. He wasn't saved when he prayed for three days straight. When was he saved? When were his sins forgiven? When did he become a Christian? When was he placed in Christ from outside of Christ? Acts 22.16, we find out. And now arise, and why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins. It was only when he obeyed the gospel, the command of Christ in the New Testament, did he become a Christian. Was he truly saved? So do not listen to the advice of men. Don't listen to what I say. Listen to what the Bible says. Take it out. Check it out. Read the word of God. Trust it. In Mark 16, 16, the Lord Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. You see, if you truly wish to touch the blood of Christ, to be in Christ, then you must be baptized for the forgiveness so you can be forgiven of your sins. 
And only then do you become a Christian. Only then do you have the right to hold high the cross and say this is the symbol of the victory of the King of Kings. What was meant for his defeat has become the symbol of his ultimate victory. If you have not been ransomed for the forgiveness of your sins, then I beg that you obey the command of the king, that you receive the gift so terribly paid for at such a high price for your sins, and you become a Christian this very day. Do not wait. Do not tarry. Do not hold on. Do not gamble with your soul. And if you are a Christian and you need forgiveness of your sin, you need your help for anything, you need our prayers, we are here for you as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you. King of my life, I